This is the Humans of Gaming podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Thanks so much for listening to Humans of Gaming. This episode's a little bit different from what we normally do. Um, I was recently at Origins Game Fair in Columbus, Ohio, and while I was there, I got to chat with some board game designers and publishers about the wonderful work they're doing in the world of tabletop games. And so this episode is those interviews. So I interviewed um, eight designers, publishers. Um, You're going to hear from Derek Funkhauser of Skybound Games. Um, work, who's working on lots of different games there. Ty Vance with Highborn Games is working on a really cool um, Japanese role-playing board game called Dawnshade. You'll hear from Daniel Newman, who's designed the highly anticipated new board game Dead Man's Cabal. Uh, you'll hear from Connor McGoy from Inside Up Games, who's done um, Rise of the Elder Gods, Summit, and he's got a new game called Seven Souls. You'll hear from Mike Nade of Rock Manor Games, uh, who's making a new game called The Few and the Curse that I really had a lot of fun playing. You'll hear from Gil Hova of Formal Ferret Games, who's been on this podcast before. Uh, and you'll hear about uh, his new game, High Rise, as well as another game he's working on called Weird Stories. And you'll hear from John Brager, uh, who's with B&B Games, and he's working on a game called The Refuge, Terror from the Deep, that we also thought was really cool. Um, so, yeah, uh, hope you enjoy this episode. Um, thank you so much for listening. Without further ado, here is our Origins interviews. Drew Dixon here at uh, Origins Game Fair, and I'm with Derek Funkhauser. How are you doing, Derek? Hey, Drew. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Yeah, for sure. And you just started a new job with Skybound. Tell me what you do. So I uh, just started about two and a half months ago, and I'm working as a game development manager. I also do game design there at Skybound, so we're working through developing and playtesting a lot of the games we sign, also taking on uh, games that are pitched to us, and uh, also making new games. Yeah, that's cool. And one of those new games is this new Walking Dead card game, right? Tell me about that. So we have a new game called Walking Dead Something to Fear. It's a game that my wife and I designed together. It's a two to six player simultaneous card play set collection game. A little bit of what we call coopetition. Uh, it's a semi-co-op game where you're trying to survive as the group and then if you survive, you get to count your uh, set collections, victory points, and then figure out who wins. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we've uh, got to play it at PAX South, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, really, really excited. It's, it's about to come out, right? Really yeah, soon. yeah. we'll have it at uh, it premieres at San Diego Comic-Con this year in July, and then we'll have it available for wide release at the end of the month and then at Gen Con. So I know you work on a lot of different games, uh, so maybe this is hard to... to answer but i'd be curious to know is there like one value you hope players get out of their time playing your games what do you hope a player walks away from after having experienced one of the games that, that you work on yeah that's a great question uh for me the main experience that i want from the games i design or games that i play is the social interaction and coming away with making memories and moments with other players so in this game it's it's it really is thematic to the world of the walking dead where you're going to have to in order to win uh throw your friends under the the bus yeah. <laughs> or, or backstab them at crucial uh, moments of the game and it's really that human interaction
interaction in that moment where you put somebody out of the game or you steal from them to put yourself ahead and then you have to look at that player across the table and you have to look at them glaring at you like yeah. why did you do that and it, it, it's just that human connection of uh -huh. you having to kind of wrestle with that internal struggle of like I want to win but do I want to do this to somebody because you know right, do you right. feel that like that's a good thing but for me when I design games or play games it's that social interaction right yeah and games provide us a safe place for that kind of interaction like you do that to somebody in any other context and it's like oh you're the worst <laughs> person ever but in the context of a game it forces you to sort of like come to terms with each other and understand that you both signed up for this experience you know well not only that but they'll come back later in another round and they'll remember what you did previously and they'll be like okay well now I'm going to get you back so right, right. so it's a little bit of a revenge factor in that and that and not malicious not malicious fun revenge yeah like <laughs> that's a good that's a good way to put it yeah yeah cool yeah well I'm excited to check it out when it comes out here pretty soon um the last question I like to ask game designers is is why do you make games what drives you to do this uh passion uh the passion of creating and uh really just also a challenge of uh, the mind, putting a puzzle together, seeing something come alive from uh, from my head to paper, and then paper to all sorts of crazy-looking prototypes that look like you're crazy, yeah. <laughs> and then and then finally seeing that come together in a cohesive uh, form. And it's really just the creation and puzzly aspect of, of games. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you guys have some other games coming out soon too. Grim Masquerade just released, and then uh, I believe uh, Wonderland War maybe is before too long. What, what's what's next for you guys? So Grim Masquerade is going to drop in July. We'll have it at Dice Tower Con, and it'll be widely available at Gen Con. Uh, it is an amazing game of, of deduction from uh, Tim and Ben Eisner, James Hudson, uh, illustrated by the Cuttingtons, which are just amazing artists. Uh, up next, we are working on uh, developing Wonderland's War, which is a very uh, cool asymmetric game of uh, war and uh, it's in the Alice world, but it's in a very interesting take on, on that world. I think a lot of people are going to enjoy it and it's uh, illustrated by Manny Tremblay yeah. uh, who's, you know, I mean yeah, really, really awesome guy. And then we also have Tidal Blades that we'll be pushing out soon in, in Sorcerer City, which will be right. delivering uh, sometime this year. Yeah, cool. Very exciting. We always love checking out y'all's games. You uh, and Lizzie are big time involved into Board Game Spotlight, and I always like to give that a get a, give that a, a call out. Tell us a little bit about Board Game Spotlight and why our listeners might want to check it out. Yeah, sure. So the Board Game Spotlight is a group that uh, James, Lizzie, and I uh, we've been moderating and, and created it for board gamers. It's an all-inclusive uh, space for gamers to come and enjoy the hobby they're in. Uh, you know, we we try to push meaningful interaction, uh, enjoyment of the hobby. We don't. We, we don't put up with trolls at all. Uh, we, we get rid of toxicity as quickly as we can. And we really just want, I mean, really just a safe space for board gamers to come and talk about the games they like and really rally behind what brings us together at a table, and that's board games. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've, I've said this before, but one of the things I like about it is it feels a lot less elitist than some other board game uh, groups can feel. It feels it feels like a more welcoming place. Um, so I, I really applaud you guys for creating that kind of environment for people to just, you know, nerd out about games, which is great. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You can follow us on Facebook at Board Game Spotlight. We're on Twitter at BG Spotlight, at uh, BG Spotlight on Instagram. Uh, also, we have a YouTube channel and a Twitch channel. Great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Awesome. So, Ty, tell me your last name. It's Vance. Vance. And, uh, and your game is Dawn Shade. Yep, it's called Dawn Shade. It's a cooperative adventure JRPG. 
Uh, my co-designer, Jet Riker, and I are big fans of JRPG-style games. So if you're familiar with JRPGs, it stands for Japanese Role-Playing Game. And these were made popular by um, video game franchises like Final Fantasy and Chrono Trigger. And so we wanted to design a game that took the best of those games, things like exploration and character advancement and a rich story, and combine them with the things that we love most about board games, you know, things like worker placement, uh, variable player powers, um, uh, choose-your-own-adventure style narrative. And that's how Don Shade was born. Yeah, yeah. So I guess you guys must have been fans of some of those old like Final Fantasy games and different JRPGs. Is that true? Yeah, it's funny. Um, they're remaking Final Fantasy VII right yeah. now. Uh, yeah, have you seen yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. And so when I saw that, it just took me back. I mean, I remember the first time I saw Final Fantasy VII. It just, I was struck. It, it was when they were summoning one of their elemental leviathans. Yeah. And I was just struck. And I played that game. So I spent so many hours yeah. on that game. And so I'm so, so excited for the remake. I pretty much played every Final Fantasy game since then. And so, yeah, I'm a big fan nice. of the genre. So is that your favorite JRPG? Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, it's probably either that or or Final Fantasy 3 or 6, whichever you, you, however you, you know, classify them. But, uh... Yeah, I'm also a big fan of their uh, MMORPG, oh, Final yeah. Fantasy XIV. I played that off and on for a number of years, and cool. it's it's a ton of fun. Yeah, yeah. Final Fantasy Tactics also. is. A, I'm a big fan of that one. So. Yeah, yeah, me too. Same. We're yeah. the same ilk. Yeah. So um, this is pretty unique because you're bringing the JRPG feel to, uh, to the table, to uh, a board game space where people are sitting in the same room playing a, a game together. So how do you translate that experience to a table? Yeah, we thought long and hard about how we can take the best elements of a JRPG and bring them to the tabletop, and not many games that we've seen do that. And so the biggest way that we do that is you're creating a procedurally generated quest, so it's different every time. And you do that by randomly shuffling your quest deck at the beginning of the game, and it consists of journey tiles and outpost tiles and events and battles. And then you put your final encounter, the objective of the game is to defeat the, one of the major threats that's at the, that will be placed at the bottom of the deck. So you're working through that quest deck. Every time you reveal a quest tile, it's placed on the quest mat, and you're actually creating an overworld or a new map every time you play. So it's reminiscent of the old JRPGs where you're going along in the world and you have the yeah. fog, you know, and you're unlocking that fog as you turn around, and there's a surprise around every corner. And when you reveal those new quests, you're presented with a series of challenges. You read from a, a choose-your-own-adventure-style narrative that gives you multiple paths, and every path that you choose has a positive or a negative outcome depending on how well you perform in that challenge. So every time, even if you go, even if you have the same quest, you might choose a different path. But even if you choose the same path, you might have a different outcome depending on how well you played that yeah. uh, that challenge. And so as you do that, you gain XP and currency in the game that you can use to level up your character and get the items you want, um, depending, and, and it's dependent on how well you're playing the game, on whether you succeed or fail in your quest. And if you run into a battle, it's in your mind's eye. Uh, it's very much like when you run into a battle in, in the overworld when you're playing a JRPG. It explodes out into the battle uh, yeah. mat or the battle screen. And we actually have a battle mat where our battles take right. place. And uh, you, you can almost 
hear the theme music, you know, of the screen cra yeah. crashing, uh -huh. and then and then you go and and play through a tactical battle that takes 15 to 20 minutes, and then depending on how well you function or you do in that battle, it has different various winning and losing conditions, and again, you get you get rewards based on how well you did in battle. Right, right, yeah. It's um, it's hard to explain in a in podcast form, you know, in audio, but. But the, the mat was really cool, and it definitely gave you that feel of almost like a Final Fantasy Tactics-type battle. It's almost what it reminded me of, even though the spacing didn't play into it as much. But but it is this very much this feel of like turn-based battles and, and kind of relying on each other to, to use your abilities and that kind of thing. Yeah, the one other thing I'll mention that's uh, similar to some JRPGs is uh, some, you're able to upgrade your cities or... Um, you know, build right, your yeah. cities as you go along. So Don, Don Shade has a mechanic where there's one more mat called the village mat, and that's kind of an exploded out view of your starting village where you right. started your quest. And you have workers called Cogbot Drudges that you send out to these different resource nodes to collect resources that then you can then use to upgrade your village that upgrades the outposts in the village but they also upgrade the outposts along your quest, so they have a dual uh, function there. And uh, there's also a, a tax collector that uh, he, he's a guy by the name of Frick that works in, on behalf of the uh, yeah that Frick. He uh, he he's he's a turned Patarican. He's uh, he's he's working at the behest of one of the enemy factions, and he's got a cog beast enforcer. And you roll his dice. And he may land on where your Cogbot drudges are, and if he does, he'll tax your drudges, yeah. you take away half your resources, yeah. and send your drudges back to yeah. town. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of a fun mechanic. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, if you had to narrow it down to one thing that you hope players gain from their time playing Dawnshade, what would it be? You know, that's a really good question. Um, we, we set out at the beginning of uh, our design of Dawnshade. We really had this design philosophy of we really want to tell a rich story. And it doesn't take long. Like, the when you go to the logbook and you're reading the setup to an event or uh, the starting, your starting village, it doesn't take long. You're never reading for more than a minute. But as the story unfolds, there, there actually is a, a depth to the story yeah. that will make you think and keep you talking long after the game is over. And um, I think we're not far away from board games becoming like movies and like video games have become to where you're genuinely having a shared experience with those around the table and you're feeling genuine emotions. Like you have fear, you have uh, sadness, you, you, you have loss, you know, you, you, you have love. And, uh, and that is... Uh, that's kind of a unique thing, you know, not in, yeah. a, not in a cheesy or a heavy-handed way, but in a way that you're just, you're, you're cheering together when something goes well. Yeah. When something bad happens, you're, you're like patting each other on the back and, yeah. and you're like, you're, you know, you bury your hands, you bury your head in your hands together. And, and, you know, and there's even, there's multiple endings to the game and I'm not going to spoil anything, but there's some tender moments yeah. uh, to the narrative of Dante that we're excited for people to experience. Yeah. Well, we, we had some of those moments just now playing and really, really enjoyed it. So, uh, yeah, thanks so much for showing it to us. Thanks for playing. It was a pleasure. Yeah, and one last question I like to ask game designers is, what, why, why do you make games? What drives you to do this? 
Oh, I've been a long-time gamer, and it's always been a dream of mine to to make a game like this. And I got to give credit to uh, my partner Jet Riker. He's actually a game designer, and I met him. And I'm more of the business mind behind the Highborn Games. But uh, when he kind of was talking about some of the games that he was designing, it led us. One thing led to another, and our imaginations just kept going. And we saw a need for a JRPG-style game that wasn't being met in the in the industry, and and so that we just have a real passion for those type of games and bringing it to the tabletop has just been a dream for us yeah awesome well thanks so much yeah you bet yeah So Daniel Newman, where are you from? Uh, I live in Brooklyn, New York. Cool. And you were just telling me you actually have two games here at the show. I I had heard about Dead Man's Cabal, but but there's another one that you have here as well. Tell us about your games. Yeah, so Dead Man's Cabal with uh, Pandasaurus Games is kind of an action selection, medium weight Euro, uh, but it's about uh, necromancers raising the dead and throwing a party. Um, And then the other game uh, is with TMG. It's called Rolled West. It's a roll and write based on Gold West. It's actually not for sale at this show, but they've got some copies for reviewers and such, and they're demoing it. should be out in the next couple months. Yeah, cool. So uh, if you had to narrow it down to one thing, what do you hope players get out of their experience playing your games? I know it may be kind of different game to game. You can answer that for both if you want. Um, I mean, I tend to design uh, what I think are kind of clever Euros um, with kind of unique themes is yeah. tend to be you know what I what I drive towards um, so I like to come up with unique action selection mechanisms um, that people may have, haven't seen before or kind of combine things that they've seen in, in new ways um, and I like to try to keep my rule set simple so that you can get into it really quickly and it tends to play like in, in less than an hour those are kind of my design goals yeah. overall yeah so what do you hope like like what do you hope the players leave with as they've played your games what, what do you hope uh, the, their experience around the table is like uh, I mean, I just want them to have fun. I want them to kind of feel clever. Yeah. Um, that's a big thing for me. Um, and hopefully, like, you know, want to play it again and try something different. Like, I like to have kind of a, a depth of play that allows you to experiment and, and try different things every time you play it. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And so you're telling me you've been doing this for just four years now. Uh, how did you kind of, what made you get into this, this, this industry? Um, so, you know, I had, I have a nine-year-old. At the time, he was about five. Uh, and my wife and I were not doing a lot together um, other than like taking care of the kid and then watching TV or whatever and uh, I wanted something that we could do together so I suggested you know, we'd been playing board games for a while and I suggested maybe we should try designing one so uh, we looked at games we liked and uh, kind of took some notes and, and then uh, we started this design and I took it to a game night um, and then it turned out there was actually a uh, playtesting group that met in the same location on the weekends uh, which is where I met Gil Hova, actually. Oh, cool, yeah. um, and he kind of took me under his wing, and, and I learned a lot from him, yeah. and it just kind of took off from there. And suddenly I had three or four games that I was working on, and then, uh, yeah, it just kind of you know snowballed from there. Yeah. That's one of the cool things, I think, about this industry is that, like, you you meet so many cool designers that are willing to just, like, help you and... and uh, give you some insight and like are just really generous people like Gil you know who yeah. like I was just standing here talking to him and he said hey you should meet Daniel yeah, yeah. and that's how you and I started no, talking Gil's so. been really supportive he's been great uh, he was, I kind of adopted him as my unofficial mentor the first couple of years yeah. um, and he would introduce me to people when I would go to conventions and all of that so no, it, was, it was really cool so is your wife still helping you design games? No, I kind of I took the ball and rolled with it. I tend to dive into things pretty heavily, um, and I just wanted to spend more, way more time on it than she did, so it kind of became my thing. I actually I 
every once in a while I'll, I'll uh, put one of my prototypes in front of her and just get her opinion on things. I just did that actually right before I came. Yeah. Uh, with the one I'm working on currently, but she's busy with her own stuff. This is this become more my my deal. Sure. Yeah. Very cool. Well, uh, one last question I like to ask designers is why do you make games? What drives you to get up in the morning and, and work on new game designs and and making games? Um, I mean, it's just it's something to keep me busy. Often, um, I like creating things. I went to art school and architecture school, so I have this like creative impulse. And, and board games are just kind of what I've been pouring it into lately. Yeah, that's most of it. Yeah, very cool. Well, Daniel, thanks so much for your time, man. Yeah, thanks for talking yeah. to me. So, Connor, tell me your role with Inside Up. Sure. So, uh, my. <laughs> Technical role on my business card says decider of all things. Okay. So I'm basically the head publisher and designer for the company. Yeah. And it's McGooey? Is it right? McGoy. McGoy, okay. I had, I just took a shot at it. Well, I, I've been called worse. <laughs> Is that uh, Irish? That's right. Okay. Well done. Okay, cool. Uh, it's, uh, McGooey just sounds like a cool name. It does. But, uh, I was, McGooey uh, I was, maybe is cooler. I was somewhere, oh, I was checking in at the pool when I was uh, going for my swims, and I told them the phone number, and the girl's like, McGooey, awesome name. And I just didn't correct her. I was like, thank you. I went for my swim. <laughs> cool. And so um, you, you guys have made Goris Maximus, and uh, you're still in Summit here. What yeah. else? So, yeah, so I started off, Summit was my first game, and then I did a Yeti expansion for it. I followed that up with Vault Assault, a fast-paced Cobbs and Robbers dice game. Then Goris Maximus was last year. Uh, and then earlier this year, I did um, Teams, the second expansion to Summit. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, last month, I did Seven Souls, my first Lovecraftian Cthulhu game. And then in September, I'll be doing a Weird Western. Yeah, and so are you, you're helping design all these, you're publishing them, you're doing the whole thing. That's right. So I am a one-man team who couldn't do it with all, all the volunteers that I have. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And, uh, I mean, you've made several different games now, and you're, you're doing more and more. So, like, is there one thing that kind of unites them all? Do you have a common theme or a common value? Sort of. And it's funny, not a lot of people ask that, but for me, the one thing that I hope all my games are is fun. Yeah. I know that seems self-evident, but in a way it's not, because there's different games that I, I feel people play that are more of an activity, not that it's not a fun activity, or a mental challenge than fun. I want to have outbursts and enjoyment and excitement and interaction, the laughs, the swears, whatever it is, I want a high level of excitement and enjoyment at the table. Yeah. So I try to design around fun. Yeah, that's cool. Well, how did you get into making games? That's an even crazier story. The yeah. fast version is I uh, played board games as a kid because we didn't have a TV growing up. Uh, my mom hates TV. Yeah. So I did that. got into video games as a teenager. And then once I started my own family, the video games I had, I didn't really want my kids seeing me yeah. shooting someone in the head for two hours at a time. Right. Uh, and I had my own construction company. And that meant I had little, very little free time. So the free time I did have, I wanted to spend with my friends and family hanging out with them. So right. sitting around a table, playing a game, enjoying each other's company, yeah, not in a dark room. TV or something, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up getting sick with an internal blood leak that they couldn't find, which took me out of construction. And then during that time, I basically developed a Summit, my first game idea, kind of played around with it. And it was my brother-in-law, actually, who pointed out what Kickstarter even was at that yeah. point I found uh, Jamie Stegmeyer's blog oh, there goes my voice yeah, Jamie Stegmeyer's blogs uh, James Matthews um, John Rotz and just did all the reading all the research all the following and backing I could to try to absorb as much information and then I uh, got some of it up on there and it went well 
I followed that up. Uh, Seven Souls, our most recent, uh, was my fifth campaign. Uh, they've all been funding well. My first two campaigns took 29 of 30 days. It was some of the most stressful periods ever. Yeah. Uh, but then by the time I got out to uh, Gorse Maximus and the team's expansion, they were funding in like six hours or 12 hours yeah, or whatever it was. Great. So that feels a lot better. Yeah. So it seems like you have a pretty, uh, well, like you've been pretty successful uh, with, with these games with Kickstarter. And there's tons of people here, you know, trying to do what you've managed to do. I'd be curious, like, if someone's listening to this uh, that, that that wants to get into making games, like, what, what would you tell them? What, what advice would you give? Well, the, the fastest thing I'd tell you is I've never worked harder for less money. Yeah. I ran my own construction company. I worked very hard, longer than most people work, and made quite a bit of money doing that, and that was great. But it didn't make me happy. What I'm doing makes me happy but it is at a substantial pay decrease. Sure. So what I would say is anyone could do it. It just depends to what ends you're prepared to go. Yeah, so yeah. for me personally, that meant um, selling my truck. It meant working from home. It meant axing family vacations. It meant uh, minimizing expenses. Uh, it meant kind of containing as many expenses as I could. And I'm also lucky enough to live in a very inexpensive small town in Canada. Yeah. Uh, so it means that we're able to control our costs as much as possible. Um, and then I got really lucky by having a best friend. So last year I had to do a reorder of stock, uh, so much so that it was far beyond any sort of bankroll I could handle. Yeah. And uh, entered my, my business partner, Joe, who I've known for over 30 years. He's one of my, he's my best friend. And he basically reached out to me with an, an angel investor offer of, I'm just here to help. Let me know what you do or do not need. I will not interfere if you don't want me to. So that got me through a financial burden that I think would cripple most small independent guys. Yeah. Because of that um, financial belief and his belief in me and my designs and my company, that's really helped me kind of work harder, prove myself more, yeah. and then just, just keep going. So I would, what I would say is anyone could do it depending on what you're willing to sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of hard work. So it's not just like, oh, I have a cool game idea. Like, you got to... Uh, Got to get out there and hustle. And the easiest thing I'd say to most people who tell me that is, that's wonderful. Now figure out if you want to be a game designer or a publisher, because it's very difficult to be both. Right, for sure. Cool. Um, and another question I like to ask designers is, uh, you know, what do you hope people get out of your... I mean, aside from fun, like, what do you hope players get? Maybe talk about the, the newest ones, uh, Seven Souls, uh, for example. Like, what do you hope players gain out of that experience? For, again, yeah. So, for me, it's mostly going to be the enjoyment that they're going to have. At the end of the game, they're either going to want to play again immediately, or they're going to have a great story about it, or they're going to share that experience with their friends. Yeah, yeah. So, one of the things I love about Summit is win or lose, whether it's a victory or crushing defeat, I get told stories all the time through emails, social media, conventions. People find me and say, you wouldn't believe what happened. And they tell me this amazing story of how the game interwove and gave them this memorable experience. And for that, it feels awesome for me. So in the, in the latest game, as you asked, in Seven Souls, it's my kind of spin within the H.P. Lovecraft world. And for me, what I've done is I'm doing it from the bad guy's perspective. So the players are actually the ancient ones, the evil elder gods, trying to control the same pitiful seven humans and maximizing them, getting as much resources as you can out of them. So it kind of has that, that fun, different uh, viewpoint for the game. And then Reese App Gwyn, who did the art for the game, did a phenomenal job of kind of making it uh, gateway enough and open enough 
to invite you know younger audiences, older audiences, families into into this world yeah. and to have fun and to enjoy it. Cool, awesome. Well, thanks so much. No problem. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, so the Seven Souls is already out. Or will yes, the so Seven Souls just finished about okay. ten days ago on Kickstarter. Okay. So the late pledges are still open. So depending on when this drops, okay. uh, people can check out the Kickstarter or the CrowdOx page and get in for a late pledge. That will help us unlock further stretch goals, which could be very nice. Um, and the Teams one finished up in May, March, sorry. But yeah. that one also has late pledges as it's in the manufacturing process. Okay, awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for your time. I'm here at Origins with Mike Ganade. Did I say it right? Yes, you did. Thank you. I, I I asked you how to say your name just a minute ago, and I still, like, part of me wanted to say <laughs> Nade, even though it's Ganade. So where are you from? Uh, from Wilmington, Delaware, which is 20 minutes, like, south of Philly. Cool. So tell me about the game you just showed us. Yeah, so we just played Few and Cursed. It's a uh, deck-building adventure game where you customize your character and journey in this comic book world that it's based on um so you catch bounties catch monsters uh finish jobs and and collect powerful supernatural relics cool yeah and uh you were just telling me a little bit about the um the comic that it's based on but yeah kind of frame the comic and the story the yeah, story yeah. of the world it's right based right on. so the comic book um there's the first miniseries is just wrapping up now uh it follows the redhead uh, and it takes place in an alternate history where there was a supernatural event and most of the water from Earth evaporated. So the game takes place in the desert of the Pacific Ocean. Um, and to, to survive, humans and the supernatural became real. So there's, you know, human-sized crows that with muscular arms that fly around and capture children. There are zombies, werewolves, vampires, all the supernatural goodies that you expect. The uh, comic book creator explain, uh, sort of describes it as Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets the Wild West. Yeah, yeah. Which we've always all wanted, right? <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. Um, and so it's it's ultimately a competitive game, but there are some cooperative elements. Kind of explain how that kind of balances out. Sure. Um, I mean, you're definitely trying to be the best uh, curse chaser in the game and try to win through whatever path of victory you want to become have the most renown, if you will, or grit. Um, but... Uh, the way the game ends and the monsters come into town, uh, you'll want to defeat them. Or let, sometimes you want you actually let let them destroy the town because you know you're in the lead and you'll win when that happens. So uh, right. there's some semi-cooperative elements to it um, for sure. So even if the demon destroys the town, you would still technically be the yeah, winner. That's as long just as the, you're... it's just it's just an end game condition, correct? Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Cool. Um, so how did you get into making games? When when did you start doing this? Oh, it's been um, I guess. Three or four years ago, I, I did my first game. Um, it all started, I was uh, at a convention, like a PAX with video games. I've always been into video games, and I, my legs were really tired, and I went and sat uh, down and played some of the tabletop games that were in the back of the convention center. Mm. And I became obsessed with deck builders, actually, uh, for a while. Uh, played almost all of them, all of the major ones, for sure. And there wasn't one that really did everything I wanted it to do, so I made one for myself. Uh, and we kept playing with my friends, and then... I got into like the indie mega booth at PAX and I just got some traction and decided to do a Kickstarter for it and had a mildly successful Kickstarter. Um, and during that process and after that game was finished, I started working on a, a much bigger game, a cooperative game called Maximum Apocalypse, which is really the game that's that we're sort of known for that's been pretty successful um, and has allowed me to sort of put more effort into making games and designing games. My wife sort of accepts that it's acceptable after some of the success we've had with that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. And uh, 
What uh, what do you if you had to narrow it down to one thing, what do you hope players get out of their experience playing your games? Specifically, this one. Specifically, the few and curse. I hope I hope in the few and curse that they um, they 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 feel immersed in the world. Um, one of the things I really tried to do, I'm not sure how well it's conveyed, um, is that when you're playing these cards with the huge beautiful art, you know, there's a lot, there's not much text on them, that mm-hmm. you feel like you're playing through the panels of a comic book. That was sort of my design yeah. goal or yeah, aesthetic goal. Um, mm-hmm. So I hope that they feel, even if they don't get that particular nuance, I hope that they feel that like, they're immersed in the world and that they've told a unique story through the encounters and the things that have happened. I yeah. do think that every time it's played, different monsters come up, different things happen. I mean, you guys didn't quite finish, but you even saw where he's like, take him out with the Gatling gun, get that demon. <laughs> and I, I've seen, I hope yeah. that everyone, when they finish playing, they've had like, oh, remember that time you kicked that guy down the well and like I got that guy with the Gatling right. gun and the crow swept in and stabbed me and yeah. I got dragged. Like, I hope that there's some, some of that, like you would play with an RPG where you have some mm-hmm. of that storytelling that naturally comes through at the end. Yeah. I'm kind of, I think like, my default is like a default to Euro games a lot of times. And this type of thing, I don't know, sometimes feels like, I don't know, I don't, for whatever dumb reason I don't connect with these stuff. But that was not the case here. Like, there was a lot of energy around the table. Like, we were all into it. Um, in fact, I was kind of tired just from the day <laughs> like coming in. And I was kind of like, but I got it. This, like, re-energized me and we had a lot of fun in fact I didn't want it we had another appointment to get to but I didn't want it to end so I'd highly recommend uh, our our listeners checking this out you can still support the Kickstarter Um, I'm not sure if this will that will be the case when this goes up but i think it will we've got so, about two more weeks so yeah, yeah, depending so, on when you post it it's yeah up. this should go live next week when people yeah, are hearing this so you'll so, have yeah. about a week left then if you're listening a week yeah from yeah now. so just go to the search for the few in the cursed on kickstarter yep cool. thanks and yeah, we appreciate yeah. your support guys it yeah. really helps small indie guys like us just trying to get our wives to let us do something crazy <laughs> and creative it's <laughs> yeah, great well one last question i like to ask designers is why do you make games what drives you to do this that is a good question. Um, what drives me to do it? I mean, first and foremost, I would say the passion. I mean, just like, you know, I've always loved games. I've played games. You know, when I was in sixth grade, I was playing magic cards, you know, whenever we'd have indoor recess, you know, at in, at, at, in, in elementary school. So um, certainly just like my passion, my longtime passion for the, for, the, for the product. I mean, for me, I love the connection with players that you mm-hmm. get by going to conventions yeah. and uh, like Kickstarter especially, that direct like feedback and commenting stream. And, and I love going to conventions and, and watching people play the games and, and meeting people, especially now that I've been doing it for a while. You see people who come back and they're like, oh man, I saw you at Gen Con last year. We played Max Apocalypse. It's awesome. It's one of my favorite games. Like that as a creator and an artist really um, means a lot um, and I think drives me to keep doing it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I really enjoyed The Few and the Cursed and uh, yeah, in fact, I enjoyed it so much it makes me think I need to go check out Maximum Apocalypse as well and see what well, else you've been doing. that is cooperative, so if you, if you, 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 that's definitely more of the cooperative, you're, it's fully cooperative, you're working together to survive different cool. apocalyptic scenarios. So Yeah, great, cool. Well, thanks so much. You're welcome.
So I'm here with Gil Hovo with uh, Formal Ferret Games, and you've made the networks mm-hmm. and Wordsy and yep, probably bad missing medicine. Sort of Bad Medicine. Yep, uh, Bad Medicine, yes. Yeah, I remember that one because uh, it's kind of some funny pharmaceutical stuff you got going on with that yep, game. That was the idea, yep. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, so tell me about the new games you're working on. So uh, my one that's coming out really soon is High Rise. That's going to be uh, shipping to backers in December of 2019, and uh, store shelves January 2020 is the plan right now. Uh, and that's a city building game with a little bit of corruption. There's like a Takedo style uh, one way track. So the player furthest behind moves to wherever they want on the track and performs that action. And you can make big jumps but it'll be longer for the turn to come right back around to you. And I have a couple of twists in there. Uh, one of which is you get bonuses if you make a big jump. So there is an incentive to do a big jump. Uh, you're not allowed to make very small jumps which is another uh, nice way of discouraging the little dink and dunk uh, strategy. Uh, and the third is that you can enhance a lot of your actions by taking corruption. Uh, and corruption really makes your actions more powerful, but obviously if you have too much corruption at the end of the game, that's bad. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you had to narrow down to one thing, what do you hope players gain from their time playing High Rise? Making really tough decisions. The game really forces you uh, to go this way or that way, and you've got to make that decision repeatedly in the game. The decisions are really important and meaningful, and you can really tell like a couple of turns later, oh, I, I'm in this situation because I chose that a few turns ago. And you can tell right away, this is a big decision that I've got to make. I can do this or I can do that, but I can't do both. Yeah. So as you're showing uh, people the game here at Origins and as you've been doing that recently, have you been seeing that that been feeling those moments of oh, tremendous tension? Oh, yeah, because, you know, people say, oh, I'm going to do the, oh, wait a second. <laughs> and then there's a, yeah. there's a pause, and it's, it's a good pause, you know. Right. Um, uh, on Ludology, Mike Selnicker uh, said frustration is a good thing to a point. You just have to know where the table flip is. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's a brilliant quote. Right. Uh, but I think there's the, the important thing also with this game is not just the frustration or the tension. It's the payoff. The fact that uh, when you plan things right, you get a building. Mm-hmm. Um, and the building is a certain number of stories. You get one point for every floor in your building. But there's ways you could sneak extra floors in through clever play. And if you have like a six-floor blueprint, and you wind up with a ten-story building out of a six-floor blueprint, uh, and then you put a two-story spire on top of that, you feel amazing, yeah, you know. Yeah. And that happens several times in the game, and it's always an awesome moment. Yeah, very cool. I it must be hard to know when you get to that table flip moment, like. And I'm sure it just makes me think about it. I'm sure like you iterate and iterate and iterate and play test and your tweak. As game designers, I don't think people who consume games and play games don't always think about this. But like you're making dozens and dozens and dozens of versions of things. Oftentimes, um, have you ever have moments where you made people? flip the table essentially and, and get angry does that happen often only in the super early version of high res even then it was sort of tempered by knowing that this is an early version of the game yeah. like people kind of came came in knowing yeah i'm probably going to get hosed with this i remember it happening <laughs> yeah. a lot with when i was working on the networks like getting the numbers right you know people really felt hosed when i didn't have the right numbers in so a lot of it's just iteration 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 yeah yeah very cool um, and then you were telling me about another game that you're working on as well, uh, Weird... Uh, weird Stories, stories yes. Right? Yeah. Weird Stories is my storytelling game. It's So it's a narrative RPG in which uh, players are telling a story that 
is never going to be fully explained. If you've ever read like a Murakami novel or saw TV yeah. series Lost, um, the, uh, the Southern Reach trilogy by Jeff Vandermeer, um, David Lynch movie. Yeah, Wind Bird Chronicles is one of my favorite books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So stuff like that, and and like a David Lynch movie or uh, something like that. So that it never, it doesn't fully explain everything that's going on. Yeah. So you're going to be left with some mysteries but those mysteries are not as important as what happens to the characters and I really like stories like that mm-hmm. and this is my first uh, storytelling RPG and I'm amazed at the response I've gotten so people are very excited about it so I'm really thrilled that this is a thing that I'm getting to work on and I'm having a blast working on it yeah very cool well I'm excited to check that one out too and that one's in the works right? both yep. these are in the works when can we Expect them. Yeah, well, I got one more after this. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. yeah. So, no, tell me. <laughs> so, so to answer your question, um, High Rise is going to ship to backers and pre-order customers in December, and it's still up on pre-order probably until about September or so. Okay. Uh, weird stories. I don't really have a timeline yet. I'd like to be have it ready sometime next year, but. I don't know exactly when, and that would be like a first edition that I've had ready. So yeah. it would be like a small, like a small uh, print-on-demand thing. So yeah, cool. uh, I don't want to say a small print run because it's print-on-demand. So it would be however many people buy it, but it wouldn't be like a huge print run. Right. Um, so the other thing, the third thing I'm working on is I'm working on a two-player version of the networks called the Rival Networks right. yeah. uh, with J.R. Honeycutt. He's my co-designer for this project, and uh, this is a game where. Uh, you are um, you, we can it's like the networks only it's for two players you can teach it in a couple of minutes like one or two minutes you're off and running and it plays in about 20 minutes okay. the idea was there's a lot of people I see at conventions like PAX who get kind of intimidated by the networks and a lot of gamers might be surprised they might think how can you make networks simpler it's such a light simple game as it is yeah. well it is to people used to board games and people in the board game hobby but yeah. there's a lot of people who are not in the board game hobby right. uh, people at PAX people who go to Barnes & Noble, you know, who will be intimidated by the networks. Even yeah. the, it's, A similar thing happened with Seven Wonders a few years ago. Seven Wonders came out, gamers said, oh, this is a filler game, and tried to play it with their friends and family, and their friends and family were so confused by it because yeah. the, the scoring is really confusing, there's a lot of cards, it's a really complex game, even though to a gamer it's not. Right. Uh, so I think the networks is similar, where there's a lot going on, uh, but us gamers, we've seen most of the stuff that's going on, so we can process it really easy. Yeah. For as someone who's not used to it, they'll see a lot of numbers. They'll go, oh, mm-hmm. this is a lot of math. Uh, so that's where Rival Networks comes in. It's much more streamlined, so I think it'll uh, it'll be more accessible to uh, to people just entering the hobby. But I'm also going to have a couple of modules that you can play with where uh, the most hardcore Networks fan will be challenged. Yeah. So the idea is, you know, you play without the modules when you're playing with friends and family, you play with those modules when you're playing it in your game group so um accessibility like is that is that a kind of a value that you have with your games you want to make things that people will be able to access and enjoy and 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 more like new people because it sounds like you're with this you're interested in bringing the game maybe to to a new audience to some degree is that fair so accessibility is kind of a big word so it depends on yeah. who you're making it accessible to like for example a game like high rise is a more complex game sure. i'm not expecting that to show up in uh in specialty or big box anytime soon yeah. um even even if it was streamlined the price point you know it's going to be like 60 or 70 dollars depending on the impact of tariffs uh so that's just uh, too high a price point uh you have to be terraforming mars to get away with that and right. uh, yeah. i can't claim that this is going to be terraforming mars yet we have to see how it does <laughs> sure. um 
but you know accessibility also means things like you know are minorities represented are women's are women represented you know are people who aren't straight white guys represented and yeah. you know that I believe pretty strongly that uh, I do want to see that because the more we see that the more diverse and more different points of view we're going to have in our hobby which I think is a really important thing yeah absolutely so is there one I mean I know you've made a lot of different kind of games and you have a lot of different types of games in the works but is there like one core value that kind of unites everything that you try to do well <laughs> frankly it's me <laughs> it's me that's i'm the, i'm i'm the core that unites all the games but you know i i want my games to feel meaningful to people like i want them to feel like you play and you're doing something you're doing something interesting yeah. um and honestly i I feel like that's important to any game. Yeah. But especially with the games I make, somehow you have to play this and be like, this is cool, I feel like I'm doing something here. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think um, having a little bit of humor helps. Like, not all my games are humorous, but I think having an approach that's a little bit... Um, uh, I guess a little bit whimsical, a little bit witty helps also. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, you know, you can use that sometimes. Like, High Rise... Uh, underneath the city building it acknowledges something like there's a rule at the end of high rise and towards the end of, it's not a rule but a bit at the end of, towards the end of the rule book that I'm working on which is if you multiply your your final score by 100,000 you get the number of people who had to move out of your city because of gentrification mm-hmm. and you know yeah. I, while that's sort of meant to be like a silly throwaway joke it does underscore that you know the, the game that we're playing has some there are some societal implications that are really happening yeah yeah whereas other games may not totally mention that now you know I don't mean for this game to be a gritty simulation or anything right. like that but I felt like it's this not is not of mine yeah, yeah but this is an opportunity I think to kind of acknowledge it and games have an yeah. ability to kind of at least bring that up you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah I think that's important like especially in the last I don't know few years in our country like just yeah. to have some acknowledgement of some of these uh, systems and things that are yeah not not healthy. Yeah, yeah. I think put it, it mildly, I guess. Yeah, I think sometimes just bringing it up is all, all you need to do. Yeah, yeah. And and you manage to do that a, a lot of times in your games in a way that people can still leave the table laughing, I think, mm-hmm. and, and, and having a good time together, which is which is a pretty rare gift. So, yeah, something yeah. like Bad Medicine, you know, which is... It, uh, it was really important to me to keep the spotlight on the pharmaceutical companies and not the people who have to take medications, you know? Yeah, right. I, I had to make sure that that game kept punching up and be like, okay, we're very much making fun of the pharmaceutical industry and big pharma, and we are not making fun of people who have to take medications. Because I could have done that, and I don't think it would have been as fun a game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Last question I like to ask designers is, why do you make games? What drives you to do this? Oh, they got to come out. Yeah. Uh, someone asked Sonic Youth why they made music and Thurston Moore answered because pleasure heads must burn <laughs> I don't know if that's my answer but it's something close you'd like it to be <laughs> yeah yes that's great I love it well this is so great it's always fun to talk to you Gil yeah great talking uh, to you yeah thanks so much hey Drew Dixon here at Origins Game Fair with John Brieger how's it going man Hi, it's going really well. I'm here with BNB Game Studio showing our new game, Refuge, Terror from the Deep. Yeah, that's right, and uh, we just got to take a look at it. Give us the, the quick pitch. What is it? What makes it unique? 
You are steampunk divers escaping from a deadly kraken. So you have a two to six player competitive race game where the first diver to escape wins. And also a brand new one to four player adventure game that's kind of all the action of a monster movie in 30 minutes. Yeah, and you're telling me it's kind of based on your previous game. Uh, or it's in the same yeah. world, kind of a sequ- almost kind of a sequel to it, but it's, but it's very much standalone. Correct. It's a, a standalone sequel to our 2016 release, The Refuge, A Race for Survival, where you're racing to the last safe place in the zombie apocalypse. And we wanted to take that and really kind of dive in deep on those mechanics and, and bring something new to it. So that's where we have the new solo and co-op. We have these all-new asymmetric diver abilities, and we've been live on Kickstarter now for about a week, and we're already at 50K funded, and things are going super well. We're, we're cruising through the stretch goals, and I'm super, super excited for what we're unlocking for this game. Yeah, yeah, it looks fantastic. Um, so if you had to narrow down to one thing that you hope players get out of their experience playing the game, what would it be? Where I think the strength of The Refuge is, is bringing that kind of immersive cinematic feel of a game into a short playtime that's all about the action of the experience. And my view on designing the game was that if there's a moment that's awesome and epic in an underwater action movie, I want you to be able to do that in this game. So, for example, in the co-op, one of the things you can do is win the game by getting devoured by the Kraken and cutting your way out from the inside. (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait to try that. Uh, that sounds amazing. Um, so, what uh, kind of what drives you you to make games? If you had to answer that question, like what what makes you want to get up in the morning and do this? Uh, the reason I make games is I want to see people playing something I made and having fun, and I love the feeling when someone that I don't know is sitting down and playing a game and maybe they don't even know that I'm watching them I'm not demoing at the booth and they're having fun and they're laughing and I see that I'm like I brought that fun into this world that's why I get up and I make games every day yeah awesome and the last question I know you mentioned there's some other projects here at Origins that you're working on anything else you want to mention yeah uh, I also work for Thunderworks Games the makers of Role Player R-O-L-L Player the dice drafting game and here we have uh, Lock Up a Role Player Tale which is a standalone auction game Cartographers, which is a game about making fantasy maps, and the next expansion for the role player series, Role Player Fiends and Familiars. Yeah, yeah. So how long have you been in the board game world, like making making tabletop and board games? Uh, I started making kind of art games for fun when I was in college. Uh, then I went and I designed retail stores for a couple years. I was working part-time making games for fun. Then I was working part-time making games for money. And then I've only been full-time making games for about a year. Okay, cool. So uh, what, what's your favorite thing about making games? Uh, the community. I think a lot of the people who make games and who play games, uh, especially board and card games, like the fact that they bring people together socially. And so despite the fact that you know we're, we're all nerds and I'm a huge nerd, yeah. it's about bringing people together. And so it's a really friendly, welcoming atmosphere where... Everyone wants to bring new people in and teach them and show them how awesome gaming can be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've definitely experienced that here and at other conventions. And, um, yeah, it's a big part of why we do what we do as well. So very cool. Well, thanks so much, John. I enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks so much for talking.
Thanks again for listening to Humans of Gaming. I hope you enjoyed these interviews from Origins. Um, be sure to go rate and review our podcast on iTunes. That helps us a ton. Also, uh, go check out Love Thy Nerd Community on Facebook. Search for Love Thy Nerd Community and ask to join. Once we're sure that you're not a robot, we'll let you in and you can go geek out about nerdy stuff with other nerds. Um, it's a great way to be involved with what's going on with Love Thy Nerd. Also, uh, check out our other podcasts. The Pull List is our comic book podcast and free play. Gets into all areas of nerd culture and it's just a blast to listen to. So go check those out. Rate and review those podcasts on iTunes. That would help us a ton. Go check out lovethynerd.com for great articles about nerdy stuff and um, also lots of educational pieces that will help you understand why nerd culture matters. Um, we'd also encourage you to consider giving to our mission at Love Thy Nerd. Um, there's a link to give at the very top of our homepage. Just go to lovethynerd.com and click on give and you'll be taken to where you can support what we do. None of this stuff is free. It costs us time and energy and money to produce great podcasts like this and like free play and the pull list and to put the articles up that we do online every week. We need your help. We can't do this alone. So uh, would really encourage you to consider doing that. That's it for me. We'll uh, talk at you again next week.